Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at earsports.com, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. I am Mike Casaza, here to celebrate today with Chris Anderson. Chris, this is one of our favorite times of the year for, well, let me count the reasons. Um, one, scholarship check, scholarship checks, they kick in. No anchor, but people get that money, then they can feel free to announce their transfer soon thereafter. People think that like starting the semester is some sort of like safeguard. Nope. It's kind of like the beginning of all the action sometimes. Um, and then also transfer season is very fun and sometimes funny, as evidenced by Winston Wright. Now former West Virginia receiver releases a top three for his final destinations Sunday night and ends up transferring to school that wasn't in the final three, which is hilarious for so many reasons but please tell me the good one the best. <laughs> uh, because i think literally he le- he released his top three and everybody i had spoken with had already told me it was I, I had somebody tell me it was definitively florida state and that was it and no one could figure out why he didn't put it in his top three and some guys when we talk about transfers and i say like a lot of these transfer guys it's hard to get interviews, it's hard to get information from them, know where they're visiting, know what the top schools are because they're not interested in the recruiting aspect anymore. They're just not. They're done with it. It's all business. Uh, Other guys, they like the recruiting angle. And I I think Wright liked the spectacle. I think he liked to think that he was pulling one over on some people and just wanted to have some fun with it. I mean, I uh, had somebody ask me for his number um, that was trying to – you know, get uh, an interview about what his thoughts were, where he might transfer, all that stuff. He was at Florida State like the other day. Um, Florida State technically could have him in on an official visit while these other schools couldn't because Florida State, you are allowed, it is a dead period for regular recruiting, but for transfers, you can have them on as long as your semester uh, starts, as long as your school semester is starting. And it had started, Florida State started Monday, I believe, already. So he could go visit there. He did. Um, and while I was trying to look up, sorry, going back to the uh, phone number thing, I went back through my messages with him. And let's just say it was kind of an enlightening, a re-enlightening of, uh, mm. of Wright's personality, of our time talking, uh, messaging each other during his initial recruitment. A lot of questions about, Stories written about him, his rankings, why aren't they updated? Why didn't you get more pictures of me? Why didn't you get more videos of me? Uh, a lot of stuff going on with his recruitment that was pretty interesting that kind of just jived with this whole, here's a top three, oops, I'm going somewhere else kind of thing. I took some heat because I questioned whether or not he would be a power five transfer. Did we? Someone said that that we we discussed this on the podcast, and I remember we discussed yeah. how many of these guys are going Power Five, and I, I thought I, Wright was one of the ones that we said was like the only one we thought had a really legitimate chance of doing that. Did, am I misremembering that? Man, I don't know if I just say or write so many outlandish things that they kind of blend in right now, but like I feel like that might have been just kind of parenthetical or. or unsure because I was like, I'm not sure he's going to be a power five guy, something along those lines. Like I could have seen him being, I don't know. I guess Florida state's power five, but I mean, that's kind of, I'm not sure he's in a better situation. How about that? You know what I mean? Like I know he's, 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 I guess, technically closer to home and there's 
for for kids of that age, man, there is a lure of Florida State, absolutely. And I think you can go down there and you could walk around the campus and you could see a lot of their swag and be like, hey, pretty cool place. And if you're trying to get away from somewhere, then certainly the environmental contrast between Morgantown and, and January and Tallahassee in January probably gets your attention. But um, I guess I guess my bad. I just I, I watched him for a couple of years and I just kind of thought like, is is that a guy that you could really build things around? Probably not if you're going to be a super offense, but maybe if Florida State isn't going to be a super offense, but it's a good piece to have and we'll see if they can use them. They've had a lot of issues. I mean, a lot of issues in a lot of ways the past couple of years. And um, I don't know, perhaps he's a step forward there, but I'm glad people are keeping score on this because I had, I frankly had forgotten the conversation and also the particulars of the conversation, but I do know I had doubts about it. Yeah. Um, um, certainly the leading receiver here, but I mean, I'm trying to remember like my favorite Winston Wright play that wasn't like a kickoff return or something like that. A lot of stuff where he, he catches it and gets into the end zone, but I don't remember fantastic rip away catches and, and a lot of the stuff that you're looking for that we've talked about with that, that kind of alpha receiver where he scares you because he can run by you or he can take the ball from you or he can catch something short and run away. And you're not better without him. I understand that, but um, I feel like they have a lot of work to do at receiver and, and, and you have a spot to fill right now that probably looks better with right than without right, but Good for him. I mean, that's yeah. the, you're, you're trying to trade up when you transfer, and he certainly did. That's not the story of a lot of these players. I, I was going to say, I think, one, let's make something very clear. West Virginia is worse off without him on the team. So mm-hmm. That's not up for debate. I don't think either of us are saying that. Um, but, yeah, to your point about what was your favorite play, and I think if you ha- asked me to list, like, my top five Winston Wright plays, they might all be on special teams. Um, I think he had one – one big play was it Oklahoma State last year? He he broke one. That was a that was a long one. Mm-hmm. Um, but this year, can you guess his longest play from the line of scrimmage this season? I'm trying 20. to even think of would it have been in the Maryland game, like early in that game, like early uh, in the season too. Technically, we're gonna say it looks like it was TCU. Oh, wow. but yeah, I mean, uh, he had. One play over 35 yards all season long, and it looks like it was TCU, according to what I'm looking at right now, for 40. Um, and, and, you know, maybe that's a kind of the point of the issue with West Virginia this season was there weren't very many game-changing big plays. And when your leading receiver's best play was a 40-yard reception, you know, that kind of backs that up, that there was no, you know, big breakout there. Um by the way, the the better situation, the better scenario, obviously more goes into this than just this stat, but West Virginia's passing offense the last two years, 28th in 2020, 55th in 2021. Uh, Florida State, 97th and 94th in the country. So, well, Good luck to him. Yep. Uh, again, good player. West Virginia is worse off without him. There's no debate about it. And I think he's a, a kid who could start at Florida State. But if if the move was, I'm going to Florida State so I can catch 100 passes, I don't know. I like your point about maybe maybe his search is the problem here. You know what I mean? Like, the fact that he didn't have this and the fact that we can't remember that, that we can't pin certain accomplishments and highlights to write does not mean that 
it's, right. a it's, surprise. Not, it's not right. Maybe it's the right. offense. All right. It's not a surprise. He ended up at Florida state. Maybe that's why a guy ends up leaving and going somewhere is that, all right, gave it a spin here. didn't work. I'm not doing this again. Let me try somewhere else. And that, that goes back to a point that I, I'm certain we made uh, last time we spoke. How do you talk Winston right into staying? That's hard. And, and this is probably an indication that's the case. Obviously, Chris had a lot of conversations with people in the past four, five, six days. The origination is Travis Trickett leaving, but a lot of phone calls and texts and people returning messages and, oh, thought you forgot about me. Things like that. One of those things. So the the gist that I get is that people just really had questions about, and this is obviously receivers, about the quarterback position and the offense. And that's why you see see the receivers in particular leaving and also uncertain. We've been over that. There are some guys who are thinking about it maybe have even filled out the paperwork, but just aren't quite sure yet what to do with it. That's why this this first day of the semester and this whole joke about the scholarships is kind of funny, too, because you can't take get off scholarship once he cashes that check, right? So if a kid transfers and he's in, in your classes and he's in your hallways and in your building because he's still on the team or whatever, um, not much you can do about that. Like, it's already that, – that work is already done. But um, I just get the, the sense that people were – it was hard for them to be confident about the future of the quarterback position of the offense based on what they experienced in the present. Um, and they're, they're one or two or three years on campus or whatever, and just kind of seeing the yo-yo a little bit with the offense and the quarterback and nothing really stable that that was, that was a discouraging thing for some people trying to figure out stay or go. And that's not a surprise. I think if you look at it, who left and, and the positions they played and you could probably put that together in your head, but that does seem like it's not just something that, people suppose was happening it's it's actual people who are inside or who are around it are saying was happening too which means i got to get this right and you know, that's a whole nother conversation one of the questions too but you know there this is this is an important time too they if they're going to get transfers in i know there's a question here about this too but you know they really kind of have to do it this week or they're going to be here for the spring semester i think the last day to enroll is the 14th which would be friday today's the first day of, of classes you could s- register i think as early as friday maybe um, so there's a window for there. You saw all the videos of guys moving in. So things, if things are going to happen, things are going to happen in this next couple of days here for people coming in, unless they're going to arrive in you know May and June and try to take a shorter runway to the season. But that's why a guy like Wright or whomever else, you see many other players and receivers already announced their transfer. Sean Ryan to Rutgers, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of other ones that have have finalized their plans. But... T.J. Banks going to Akron, right? That was one. Not Missouri. My bad. I wrote Missouri because I know I said that he, someone said that he was on Missouri and I looked at his Twitter and it was on Missouri and I guess he catfished himself or something like that. So, so my bad guys, um, hard to keep track of these things. But again, if you have a final three, that isn't one of your, that actually isn't your final destination. Um, you could forgive the journalists for being a little bit confused. These are crazy times here too, but, um, do we expect any activity here in the next couple of hours or days or before we finish talking here this morning? Uh, I imagine something's going to happen because as you pointed out, classes have started, um, this is kind of the week. The 14th is a, let's say it's a loose deadline. Um, uh, maybe that's the deadline to sign up for all the, the, the normies out there, like you and I, Mike. But mm-hmm. uh, we are not student athletes. Uh, we are not a star quarterback or a star receiver, as much as maybe I like to think I am, or, or maybe you too. But we're not going to get the leeway that some athletes get because we have seen that uh, deadline uh so let's say it's just not even a deadline when it comes to to athletes. So, but it can't it can't be egregious. It can't be like January thirtieth or February second. So we are talking in the next week to ten days. 
That'll be it. If it doesn't happen in the next week or ten to next ten days, then it's not going to be someone that's enrolling for the spring semester. And if it's not somebody enrolling for the spring semester, the chances of them making impact in the fall goes down considerably. Uh, it's not zero, but it goes down considerably. So I do expect some movement, uh, maybe something to happen in the next ten days. But uh, it, it is a good idea to keep an eye on it. We're recording this Monday morning. Keep an eye on it now because, as I noted with the Florida State Winston Wright situation, you are allowed to have transfers in on official visits as soon as your spring semester starts. That's today for West Virginia. It was last week for a couple other schools, and that's why you saw kids taking visits to those other schools. Now, West Virginia can try to sneak a couple kids on over these next couple days before the, I mean, the, the regular recruiting period opens back up starting Wednesday or Thursday. I can't remember if it's Wednesday night, midnight, or Tuesday night, midnight. But um, so keep an eye out. Keep an ear out. Uh, maybe something happens in the next few days. Complication. Hard to be a host on campus if you're in San Antonio for the football convention and you're, you're maybe fishing for an assistant coach. I don't know exactly where Neil Brown is at the moment. I just I just didn't check his itinerary. I would assume he's at the AFCA. Um, but I also don't think you have to go there to hire a coach, too. And if it, if it meant being on campus to do some things for recruiting purposes, I'm sure that would take that would take precedence. But crazy time for him because obviously he's trying to keep his roster together. Uh, they've they've tried to talk transfers who left into staying. They tried to talk people who maybe thought about leaving into staying, and maybe have successfully done that. So there's a lot of work going on with the retaining, which is something that he he did say that he was aware of. But also, you know, couldn't retain Travis Trickett. He's off to UC, excuse me, USF, offensive coordinator, quarterbacks coach. That could be announced any minute now. It's just about um, a foregone conclusion at this point. In fact, we've already had the the quizzical. <laughs> this is also just terrific, Chris. Uh, Travis Trickett thanking everybody, um, excited for the next opportunity. Neil Brown saying, hey, this is a great opportunity for you. Good luck. Thank you for your work the last three years. All on Twitter. No one says what's happening. No one says that he's going to USF or no one says, hey, good luck at USF. I think this is great. Just kind of like the, the tongue-in-cheek wink nod at, at everything that's going on in college sports. But not yet official, even though it's almost social media official. But I don't know. People seem like they're mad about Neil Brown losing an assistant coach here. I don't know how you keep a guy who's got ambitions for being the offensive coordinator at a, a pretty talented group of five school. Yeah, I mean, the only way I think you're keeping him at West Virginia is if you make him the offensive coordinator here. I, I don't he, – he would have needed a promotion, I would think, above and beyond uh, just tight ends coach. Um, so that, that was your option, and I, it seems like that wasn't an option because uh, obviously there's a lot of guys on that offensive staff, and we've talked about it, and there might be moves forthcoming in that area. But this is this is a good opportunity for Trigget. Uh, again, he, he's been uh, an offensive coordinator before. Uh, USF would probably be uh, offensive coordinator. That would be the biggest job he's had yet. I believe that's – if you want to be a Power 5 coordinator or a head coach at the FBS level, then you need to be a coordinator – I would think you would need to be a coordinator at a, a good group of five school uh, on you. We want that on your resume. And I think going there to USF and and being able to use his Florida connections for recruiting and put his hands in that offense. And, and there's a lot of talent there that he could help build his resume. And it wouldn't surprise me if like three years from now, he is being named offensive coordinator at a power five school or head coach somewhere. He was pretty clear about that when he came here too, that he was a coordinator in the Sunbelt Conference, which had a good, I mean, 
that that conference, the school he was at, they had a good reputation, and and you go up from there. Like you're already in that coordinator G five position where you make that next move you're talking about. And he decided to, I guess, career wise, you would take a side step or a step back, however you want to call it, if you become a position coach, not a coordinator, but at a power five school. And and he really admired Brown as an opponent in the Sun Belt Conference and wanted to work with him. He heard a lot about it. And if I remember his story correctly, like he just texted Neil Brown and said, "Hey." Um, you know, I'm a West Virginian, happy to see you there, good luck for you. And then that conversation started to evolve and led to him joining the staff, which is kind of a strange thing. Uh, also, why you should always answer text messages, you never know what's going to happen. He ends up here, does good work, but also, like, he was not here to be a position coach or anything like that. And again, he, he was pretty clear about this. He wanted to move up and, on, and onward, and this is it. Like, I think a lot of people like USF's quarterback situation. They've hit the portal, you know, with some some success at receiver, I believe they have a lot of returning talent. Like they're, they're going to be good and he's got a lot to work with. And if it takes him a year or two, okay, that's fine. But those young players are going to be there with him. And I don't think that head coach is going anywhere too. A lot of people that I talked to in the past week think that that South Florida kind of got over the growing pains and that's a program that won, like I forget what it was, but with two different coaching staffs, won 39 games in four years, it's pretty good work. So you can win there and, and don't forget, like when all this conference expansion stuff happened, that was a really good program that people thought was certainly worth maybe a Big 12 spot, but if not, if you're going to get left on the shore, you're going to get the next boat into the Power Five. And that never happened. They really fell off and had some some strange situations with, I'm trying to think of all the coaches here, uh, Skip Holtz, then Willie Taggart, then Charlie Strong, and, and it's four coaches in 12 years is a long time, or a lot of turnover and not a lot of time, so... I don't think they want to change a coach right now. So I think he's got a, a pretty good situation there to, to work with and get his situation um, aiming toward his career goals, which he he obviously has. So good for him on that too. And no, you're not keeping him here unless you're making him the offensive coordinator. And I don't know that, that would have made everybody very happy. You lose a recruiter, but that's kind of the game. You go out and you get guys who, who can recruit, which leads me to this. They have this vacancy now. They have money to throw at the position that they want to. I'm very curious to see what happens here. I've heard whispers in different directions, but nothing particular that leads me to a conclusion. I think that Brown's going to really take his time on this and say, I have money to spend. I have a position. I have flexibility, too. And think about it this way. It wasn't that long ago where West Virginia didn't even have a tight ends coach because you only had nine assistant coaches. So now you have this 10th position you can use. You have five on offense, five on defense, but they could do a whole bunch of different things here. They could have a different position guy come in and you rearrange the coaches you have, which means just go out and get the best coach you can find. They may find someone who's young, but a really good recruiter. They may find somebody who's like a passing game guru. They may find someone who's really good with tempo. I don't know, but I think the answer to the question of what happens next, that answers a whole lot of questions about what Brown thinks of the offense, what Brown thinks of his staff and also what has to happen next. I'm plugged in. I, I'm, I'm really curious to see what happens now. Yeah, I think there's some flexibility here because everybody needs to keep in mind that I think or that when Trickett arrives, remember, he was listed as inside receiver slash tight ends coach. Yeah. And, and we won't go over that, but eventually just became tight ends coach with no notice uh, or was just only working with tight ends, but maybe still kept the inside receivers uh, title. Um, so there is some movement here that can be made. There are guys that have had experience on that offensive side of the ball in different spots. They've they've been coordinators, not coordinators, co-coordinators. Uh, obviously, Neil Brown has had experience with receivers and coordinators. 
or as a, in a coordinator. So there is some movement, and I'm with you. I think they could really kind of go a different way. I don't know if they, they they can't, and I'm not saying they're going to, I'm not saying you implied this, but they can't uh, avoid the tight end rooms altogether. I mean, it was just a couple of years ago that they uh, quite literally just weren't taking kids, tight ends as recruits. Um, uh, you know, coaches were uh, of that position were not happy with the that plan, and that room was basically empty. Now it's completely chock full of athletes, and they are a variety of athletes. That's why when I wrote that story the other day, I called it the SUVs. That's what they like to call themselves because they got the the receiver-type tight ends, which are like Charles Finley, Michael Laughlin. They got the big blocking guys, which was TJ Banks, but now it's maybe like a Victor Wickstrom type, uh, Traylon Davis. And then they got like the, those athlete types, which is what they recruited DeCarlo Donaldson as, uh, CJ Donaldson, excuse me. Uh, and so I think you can see a bunch of different uh, body types in there, a bunch of different uses for them. So I think they need to bring somebody in that that knows how to use them or move one of the guys over that's currently on the staff that knows how to use them. Yep. Parker and Scott have both coached tight ends in their career. If you wanted to do something like that, you could do it. I mean, we'll see. And um, it's, it's not unusual to see an offensive coordinator uh, take a less involved position than for example, coaching all the receivers. You know, if you just got a couple of tight ends and you're doing that, if you just get like running backs, whatever, you see a lot of that too. Quarterbacks, coaches, and and offensive line coaches. I think you think of them as offense coordinators, but sometimes that OC position is so involved that giving them a break sounds kind of like insulting to the nature of the the positions they coach in the job. But for lack of a better phrase, give them a break too. So that listen, all the all the moves are on the table here, so it'll be really interesting to watch. Speaking of on the table, Chris, a lot of questions here. This is a Q and A mailbag, and here we are. Here I am mostly talking a lot about things that have happened in the past couple of days, but people want to hear us answer their questions. As always, these are subscriber questions. Um, we'll answer as many as we can here. And then I know there's one or two that I think we probably want to spend some time in written format. So we might not get to that one. Fear not, Chris or I or Chris and I will get to that one. But um, enough of us. Let's go to the questions. All right. Let's start out with let's start. Let's take a break from the coaching stuff for a minute and let's go to the, the players. Uh, this one from WVUG13. Which freshman, excluding Ollie Straw, the, the Australian punter, for offense and defense has the most impact in their first year? Then, which Juco recruit has the most impact in their first year? Mike, do you right. want to step up to the plate with one of those? I just I can't get over Jacoby Spells. I know that's the lazy pick, and he's the top-ranked recruit in the class, but that's that's – that's the guy that I've been watching for a while, and he's done everything you're supposed to do. And I don't know how you keep him off the field the first year if he's as good as what he is. I think people think the same of Christian Stokes, too. Christian Stokes may be underrated, but and that's a guy who can do versatile things in your defensive backfield. But I like I like spells. I just don't know how you keep him off the field next year, especially with where they're looking for some need and how you know, maybe he's not a safety, but maybe he can play a spot that lets you move someone to safety. That would be one. Um, I don't know. This is kind of a wild card for offense, but like, they might really need receivers. Darrell Williams had a very good senior year. I think that's another guy that people think may be underrated, and once you get him on campus, he might flourish. Um, but otherwise, there's not a lot of options for offense. You're looking at offensive linemen or whatever, but and maybe who knows? I don't know. But I just I think Williams is kind of a guy that is off the radar who you might look at and go, "Whoa, how'd we miss on that one?" Uh, yeah, on offense, I think there's only two even potential guys, and that's. That is Williams and Marchio. And again, we're talking about a true freshman starting a quarterback. 
that that's pretty rare. Even today, when it's been shifting uh, for some of the elite guys that way, it's still pretty rare. So if you had, if I had to place a bet on one of these guys playing and contributing on offense, I think I'd have to lean towards Williams over Marchio at this point, even not knowing what West Virginia is going to do in the portal, if they're going to do anything there, um, which I, I'm sure we'll touch on in a few minutes. Uh, defense, don't don't sleep on Christian Stokes. Uh, I mean, okay. he is a better version at that point in his career, coming out of high school, of St. McLeod, who, granted, that situation back there kind of forced him into a, a bigger role than he likely would have had. But I think Stokes is somebody that can come right in and be on that too deep on the defensive side of the ball as far as high school guys go. Not a lot of options on junior college either. Um, offensively, I would say TBD. How about that? Yeah, I, was say, I mean, offensively, you really what you only got uh, Jeremiah Aaron, who mm-hmm. uh, elite elite receiver or at least a productive receiver, prolific receiver in in an offense that likes to throw the ball. Especially with Wright gone, maybe he's almost you can just pencil him right in as a return man. So he's making a contribution there. Uh, defensively, uh, Lee Koba. I mean, I, I heck before Josh Chandler Tomatoes announcement, I would have sharpied him in um, for being a major contributor this year. Uh, I still think it's possible, but now you're returning, you know, most of that talent in the linebacker spot. And now, granted, there's not a, a deep amount of town not a lot like you're not getting a full too deep that's part of the problem that they had this year at least towards the end of the season so i think uh you know lee coba could still make an impact on that side of the ball i like mclaurin's tape and what he might i think he's he could be a free or a cat the way he looks like he plays and maybe he's better one or the other but again short list of options there but it could be coba you're right but really liked just the tape, I know, but McLaurin looks like he can run around and make plays, and he's produced at that junior college level in a good conference. Um, that would be my pick there, and I think I think they have expectations for him to to matter right away too. In addition to having a need at two spots. Um. Also, I say TBD because they might add a receiver, they might add a uh, an offensive tackle or an offensive guard or a center. Like they they've talked about, I think tackle is probably what they're looking at, but. I don't think they're done with junior college players trying to get somebody on campus who who may be at the top of this conversation in whatever amount of time it takes that person to get here. Next question, somewhat related to that from Kuzapalooza. Would you say that WVU's activity in the transfer portal has been a letdown so far? Your, th- your thoughts on what you've seen so far? It depends here how we're, how we're talking activity. If they're in on quarterbacks and they're just not getting them, then I don't think that you can hold that against them. It's gonna be it's a hard situation to sell because your offense hasn't been great. You're losing receivers and you have three young quarterbacks in the roster. It's gonna be hard to get a quarterback. And then they're coming off the board pretty fast. But they're trying. Hey, that's fine. But I think if you look at what they've done so far, like they they needed a tight end because they lost one. And that's just the reality. Like I don't think they're gonna do a lot of what they wanted to do as far as game plan or formations or running the ball, if they went into next season with O'Loughlin, Finley, Davis, and Wickstrom. Like, I think Davis and Wickstrom are still probably some time away from being the reliable parts of the offense they want. And then Finley just probably isn't a, a on-the-line, in-line tight end. He's probably like a, a kind of a, a change-up there, too. So they went out and they got uh, Palendi because they had to. So that's a good one. That's a talented player who – there's good tight ends at Colorado State, so there's good coaching there. Lawton, we'll see. 
but you get some help on the defensive line. That line could be deep and deeper with him if he clicks. Nothing wrong with Lynn J. Dixon, right? Right. Um, you you're high on Floyd, and you know more about him than I do, but I can I can certainly buy what you're selling. But that's the end of the conversation, right? Like there's just not a whole lot to it right now. So maybe they are active and things are coming. But I think if you were looking for quantity and quality, you probably expect to like this date or this week to have more answers than questions. So you might be upset right now. But if things still come to fruition, if they are able to shake the trees after spring practices somewhere, listen, you can want all you want for your players to be here during the spring. But a lot of players don't want to leave, and they want to give it a shot in the spring. So if you're a guy who's a redshirt freshman or, or a second-year sophomore and things haven't been going your way and you're thinking about transferring, well, that's risky, and you know that because everybody says, hey, watch out, the portal's very crowded, there's no guarantees. So you might be on the fence and, hey, let me give spring football a spin and see if I can climb the ladder. Let me see if I can break out of this uncertainty and do something. Maybe it doesn't work out. Then that person is more convinced to go to the portal. So – while it's not great for West Virginia to be fishing players out of the portal in April and May, for those players, that may be the time where more of them are available and they're more convinced about going somewhere. And also, they may have more answers on the other side about a West Virginia, which, hey, we could not fill all of our receiver spots. Come here and play. Hey, we are not pleased with our three quarterbacks. Come here and play. So it's it's hard to finish that conversation right now. I think it's kind of constantly evolving you may not have an answer until they kick off the first time i'm with you here i think that the four that they got that's pretty darn good haul of the four um palendi is basically a starter i think he's an upgrade over banks uh he, he is going to be as i noted in my analysis when he committed he's very specific in what he's going to do he, you're not going to see him catch balls this year period you're just not he's going to be a compliment to o'laughlin um lynn j dixon has the potential to be as good as Letty Brown. I know that's going to kind of, you know, people might be upset about that, but he was very highly rated out of high school, was excellent as the second back for Clemson on a national championship team, uh, and, and then another college football playoff team. So he's not some scrub that couldn't crack too deep on a on a crummy Power 5 team. Uh, he was very good. He just happened to be behind uh, Etienne, who is an NFL draft pick and NFL running back. So I think he is somebody that that could step right in and be a starter if you need him to be. Psyche Lawton, still young. Like he's, you practically treat him as, as a high school recruit, I think, at this point with four years remaining. So that's a great addition, I think, as, as building depth on that defensive line. And then Floyd, FCS All-American. Uh, you know, Chris, uh, I was about to call him Christian Wood again. Charles Woods, FCS All-American. He did some of these some of these uh, talents translate from FCS to FBS, and I think that's one of them. I think Floyd can also be in that category with Woods and really help that secondary. Here's the thing. The average, looking at it, of, of transfers, of the amount of transfers, the num- number of transfers, not talking quantity or quality here, I'm talking quantity, is about four per school, three to four per school. So West Virginia is about average. Problem is, given West Virginia's departures and their current scholarship situation they don't need to be average in the transfers that they're adding they need to be above average and so i think they're still missing some guys i think there's still time to add them obviously but um there there there's some holes here that need filled that need to be fixed uh quarterback that's up in the air depends on how you feel about the guys you got on campus we've talked about that more times than i'd care to admit but 
wide receiver, defensive back. You could still go that way. You could offensive line. They're looking. I mean, they're essentially looking at every position on the field still. And we're about to start spring semester. So I, I think that's a little bit disappointing, but there is still time to fix that. I would add too that you could really squint or tilt your head and consider like Lee Koba a transfer because he has FBS experience. And then right. he went to another level at junior college. So that's that's almost like a transfer in, in some regard. Like he has experience and he's been better since he left. So he mission accomplished for him. Um, McLaurin probably would have been a player at the FBS level, but I believe he got hurt his senior year, right? Right. And then this fell off the map and it wasn't his fault. Did he miss a year? I'm I don't know if he missed the whole year, but he was he was a quarterback. Yeah. And and got hurt, got hurt, played quarterback, wasn't actually a you know, FBS quality quarterback, but, you know, an athlete for sure. So, so again, talented player who, if things work out differently, he might be at an FBS school to start and perhaps that's a regular transfer. But Koba, I would think is almost like a regular, I know he had a Juco stop, but that's a guy who you could probably put in that conversation with the other four players and and you would feel better about it too. So really depends on how, how subjective you are and how much you want to mess with the variables here to fit your conversation. Um, I'm going to bounce all over the place here because I found this very interesting. Uh, this was from Austin, Austin, Texas here. What are your thoughts on this tweet from Ross Dellinger, who uh, Dellinger, who quoted the Nick Saban comments about their needing to be NIL legislation? Um, your, one, your thoughts on NIL legislation. Two, your thoughts on Nick frickin' Saban being the one to complain about it. I mean, this is what everybody feared was going to happen. This is exactly what the people who said we need a law, we need some sort of normalization, we need some sort of structure. This is what they thought was going to happen, and it's it's happening. Like, good job, guys. Yeah. <laughs> like, you don't get to come to the table now and be like, oh, we, we thought this was going to happen. No, this this should have happened before. You shouldn't have backed up from the table. So everything I wrote, everything that, that we talked about in, in June or July that – and listen, I'm just a small piece of this, but like our conversations here were like, this is a potentially bad thing because people may be steering kids to programs or more importantly, pulling them away from programs. And I think it happened with some of West Virginia, at least one of West Virginia's recruits. Um, it could possibly have happened with some of these transfers. It's a way to keep people on campus now. It's leverage into building your roster. And that is not what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a player leveraging his name image and likeness for i don't know branding marketing exposure income but if you're a school that says hey we're going to endow fifty thousand dollars for every offensive lineman who comes in on scholarship here that's bull you shouldn't be allowed to do that like it's cool you can do that within the rules now i'm like great for texas uh byu their whole thing with giving everybody a scholarship including walk-ons um that's under some scrutiny now too I think it's funny they picked on BYU, but sure. And I think you're seeing that they're taking a stance on this stuff now too. But so yeah, obviously this is screwy and it shouldn't have happened, but now you got to fix it. I don't know how you do it unless you nationalize some sort of a law, which I'm not sure they're going to do. Um, I'm not sure the NCAA has that clout. I'm not sure Congress has that type of time for, for the NCAA. So then you leave it in the hands of the NCAA, which is not <laughs> – promising right so then is it go down to a conference level well sure but then every conference is going to have different rules Uh, who's the head of college football that's a question we haven't been able to answer too so i don't know what they're doing but this is bad and and, you know good for saban because saban could have very easily 
taken advantage of this and and built his roster and fortified it like never before. More importantly, he could build some sort of machine that when he does decide to retire 30 years from now, he just hands it to the next person who just keeps it going. And this this machine that Alabama has built for NIL purposes, that can make it a lot easier on his successor. But I think he spots this is bad for the game. It might cost him players too, for sure, especially inside the conference, let's be honest. And that's not good because then you lose your footing. So also I'm sure there's a competitive element for him as well where he doesn't want to he doesn't want to lose ground that he's worked hard to, to establish. So um, I admire him for saying that. I'm glad that he did. That's the biggest voice in the room when it comes to college football. So so good for him, and hopefully people listen. And, and not break down his intent. Let's just look at the words. The words are what are most important here. Everybody knows it, and the, the biggest voice in the room said it. So that's good. Yeah, I mean, the, uh, the, uh, the NCAA, uh, as always, reactive instead of proactive. This is something that every single – person out here knew and thought would happen that and, and and it is happening again the as you mentioned the idea was that guys would come on a campus use their success on the football field to parlay that into uh local business deals that kind of stuff to make some money not getting large chunks of cash up front to go to schools like you mentioned the texas deal the byu deal um do you think it's a little bit ironic that uh um, Nick Saban's bringing it up when his quarterback, before he ever even started a game, got over a million dollars worth of deals. Uh, but again, that that's because he was going to be the car, starting quarterback was already on campus, not a, a million dollars worth of deals to convince him to come to Alabama. And, and unfortunately, that's what it's become. You mentioned um, at least one recruit for West Virginia. Is, they, they've been having to deal with that, having to fight with that, make pitches with that. That is part of your recruiting now is to essentially make a PowerPoint presentation of how you can help make that kid extra money if you come to that school. And that's not what this was meant to be. It's what everybody thought it was going to become because the NCAA is never prepared. And now here we are. And it's going to be a messy few years. Two paces out of the tube. I don't I don't know how they fix it unless they get... I don't know how they fix it because the, the, the mechanism to fix it is is not going to work. No, it is not. I, don't, I mean, you're asking me to put faith in the NCAA too, which is not going to happen. I mean, is the only way to to solve this is essentially the Power Five to break off and then they set their own rules on this? Right. I, yeah. I don't. I, but then you got to worry about the Group of Five, and I, it's going to be a mess. Yep. It's going to be a mess. Need to start somewhere though. So maybe this is our our flashpoint there. Um. Let's see. Do we want to tackle the quarterback thing right now? Do we want to talk about that some more? Yeah. <laughs> Finley, I guess. Okay. All right. I, I guess we'll leave it at this because, yeah, there are there are deeper answers here, longer answers, and we'll we'll put that in written form because there's several questions in here, obviously, about it. But we'll keep the conversation here. Um surface level i suppose from roco here we'll keep it are we rolling with the young guns at qb so essentially the question is is it one of the three on campus or is it a transfer mike i think you can have different answers to that because i think that they could get a transfer in here but it still might be somebody else and they might get a transfer here in the next couple of days it might be in the next couple of months i don't know i just don't believe they're going into this without a transfer I know that I know I know there's going to be voices that stand up and shout that down, but 
and uh, you recruit to get guys like Marchio and Crowder and Green on campus and you develop them to get into a point where they can play, I don't know that any one of those three is developed to a point where he's ready to play. And maybe you find that out in the spring. I would feel a whole lot better about finding out in the spring if I had somebody there who's been through it and who understands it and can start games and and get me some wins. Um, I, I just I just don't believe they're gonna they're gonna go in without another quarterback. And I would not I would not discount the possibility that they're not whole when spring football ends too. Like, what if they don't have three quarterbacks? Like, what if you go and say we're not taking a transfer, we're gonna run with these three? Guess what? They can't play three quarterbacks, right? So if you do crown one or if some sort of hierarchy like emerges, you might lose one of those three in the spring, which means you've got to have somebody else too. I just, I think it's a bad idea not to go get one. So I think they're going to try to get one. Who will they start? No idea. But to preliminarily answer that question, I, I think they're going to get somebody. I don't know who it is. I, I keep an eye on that list all the time and I'm surprised by names that pop off and I'm surprised by names that appear and then go somewhere else. But um, the, 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 the stock is dwindling, so they need to act fast if they're going to do this, but I just think they're going to have to do it. I think they will do it. That's a evergreen answer to this question. I know that, but like I just haven't changed on it. Right. I, as I say, I just feel like I'm repeating myself when I say who's, who's in there that's better that West Virginia can realistically get, and I'd, there are only a couple options, and, and yes, they're changing every few days, every couple weeks. Uh, as you noted, guys going in, guys going out. So it, it changes, but it still remains the same somehow. And I don't see anybody currently in the transfer portal as of 9.43 a.m. on Monday, January 10th. That is considerably better than what West Virginia currently has and that West Virginia has a realistic shot of getting on campus in the next seven days. That's where I stand right now. Mm -hmm. And maybe it'll change tonight. Maybe it'll change tomorrow. But that's where I stand right now. Unless, again, there are guys who I think are better. I just not sure West Virginia can get them, and maybe the coaching staff will shock me and, and pull them in anyway. So I don't want to say that if if West Virginia, I, what I'm not saying is if West Virginia adds a quarterback in the next seven days, that the guy's not good enough and it was a bad move. I'm not saying that. Mm-hmm. I might say that in seven days, but I'm not saying it right now. So it, it could change, but right now I just don't see it happening. Agreed. Um, this is an interesting one, and. It sounds angry in the question, but I think it's a legitimate question, um, especially given what you and I knew at the time, quote, kind of knew, maybe knew. Chicago WVURN. What was the point of starting Daigie in the bowl game if he knew he was going to transfer West Virginia? And I'm, I'm adding here uh, because you, you and I talked about how this conversation was kind of had before the bowl game. If he knew he was going to transfer West Virginia, he was going to transfer, why start Diggy? Why not play Green, Crowder, whatever, to see what you got? Mike? I, I, I think it's a legitimate question, So I, because I'm with this person on the, if you knew Diggy was gone, and all my intel, and I don't want to speak for you, but I think your intel as well, said that everybody, both parties, kind of knew this was the end. Why? This is kind of why, this is kind of like, no, this is why I think sometimes we get frustrated about not having straight answers on things because you could answer this question and be really unfair to both the participants. Um, what if Brown and, and Daigie honestly didn't know until after the game? Um, well, then that changes this and all of a sudden, but 
the question isn't as 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 relevant because in fact they didn't but we've been led to believe for a long long time that that was the, that was not the case and that he was i mean even before the game like we had heard this is it for him and he's leaving after the game and all that stuff which is what happened so i'm inclined to believe what people consistently told me and turned out to be true but it does raise a really good point because you could have spent i think they practiced i was told nine times in a walkthrough so like 10 times so really like three three day periods i guess you could say when they could have done stuff with a quarterback that may be with them next year um i get that that's cool but i think in any program if a guy in the era of opting out chooses to be here and and to finish his third year and his final year with you too then you owe him that and listen his play wasn't so good and he didn't make such steep sacrifices that you just absolutely have to do that for Jared Daigie. I just think you do that for a player in general. Um, how many other seniors are on the team from one year to another that are going to be replaced next year that still get to play their final game? And you know, it, it could be a right guard. It could be a cornerback. Well, he's a senior. He's not going to be here next year. Let's play the young guy. You don't see that in a bowl game, so it's kind of hard for me to say that you should hold Daigie to that same um, expectation. You wouldn't. So... I think that the fact that he was here, he didn't opt out, he didn't decide to transfer before the game, or at least announce that he was going to transfer before the game. I think he plays. And also, like, I just, you'd have a hard time convincing a lot of people that they believe that Garrett Green's the answer. Could Will Crowder have benefited from extended practices in a game? Sure. But still, West Virginia wants to win the game. And Daigie likely gave you the better chance, I think, is what they were thinking, than the unknown of Crowder. People might not agree with that, but that would be my guess. But it would have been it would have been strange to have him on the roster and not play it, and I don't think that's something that West Virginia wanted to put their hands in. Good. I, I mean, I, I'm going with your answer there. I, I'm with you. I think if we had had a clearer answer, if there was a clear answer, maybe it's better because I think everything was thrown off by all intel pointing to the fact that he was leaving, and then that strange sideline report on senior day that – Semi, not quoted, but referenced, sourced Jared Dagey himself, although there was no official word, and Dagey kind of backtracked it after the game and everything else. So, again, if there's a clear answer, maybe you, 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 we can discuss this more clearly. But I, I am firmly in the boat of if you knew and he knew that he was not the quarterback at West Virginia next season, and was definitively transferring, it, it should have been somebody else playing quarterback. It should have been somebody else getting those reps in practice. I think, one, not only for for them, but I also think for for Daigie to go ahead and start finding his new home because, uh, you know, obviously that, that process needs to be pretty quick when you're trying to get there in the spring, trying to make that quick transition. So, I don't know. You need clear answers. Again, our intel said he was leaving. I assumed he was leaving, and I think I would have gone a different direction at quarterback just to see what you had during the bowl game. I, I won't disagree. I think that if you knew, then you could make that argument. But I just, I just don't think that's something that they were going to do. You ready to talk basketball, or is there yes. something else on football you want to do? No, 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 no more quarterbacks, please. <laughs> All right. Uh, a pretty. Well, I won't ask you for specifics like this question does, but I think I think it's a good a good thought here uh, from J Mole, nineteen eighty nine. Where do you think WV finishes in the Big Twelve after seeing a few conference games? So w- where do you see them? like in this group, you know, of this 10 teams? Because I, I think my perception of this league is a little different now than it was preseason. Yeah. 
Baylor might be better than last year. Yeah. So that's your clear one. Yeah. And then, like, there's a couple teams that could be in that two, three, four range. And I don't, I don't know that it's just Kansas and Texas. Like, Kansas's offense is is really good, but it's come back down to earth a little bit. Um, and then after that, like, I don't think there's a whole lot that differentiates these teams. And the great equalizer is defense. I think if I saw this right yesterday, the top 24 defenses in Ken Pomeroy's ratings, six of them are Big 12 teams. That includes five of the top 12. So that's that's going to make really good offenses look average. That's going to make um, average offenses more like superior offenses because if all these teams are playing defense, you're not going to have like 85 to 80 shootouts. You're going to have games in the 60s, and and a lot of these teams can play and win those games too. So I really think that 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 the one is clear to me, but like two through seven, I'm not saying it's a it's a dice roll, but you could put a lot of teams in there, and I really kind of think that at the end of it, you're gonna have um, TCU and Kansas State down there by themselves. So there's there there's a lot of teams that could be in that middle of the pack, but I don't think it's gonna be pretty. I don't think it's gonna be high scoring with great offensive play, even though there are some really good offensive players individually here. I just think the defenses are so good. And the rosters are so good. That's one thing, too. Like, a lot of these schools have really built their rosters with transfers where there's not a lot of soft spots. And it's there are some recruits that are playing right away, too. But almost all these newcomers are transferred from other players that are impact players. Like, like what Kansas State's done is pretty impressive with just nailing a couple of transfers. Just haven't watched them the other day. But you look at Texas, what, seven of them? They were all, like, top 35 transfers in the portal. So the, the quality of the roster is really good. So veteran players, they know how to play defense. They know how to compete. I just think you're going to see a really competitive, not even middle, like high middle of the conference. That two through six, two through seven is going to be fierce, I think. I'm with you. I had a hard time trying to rank them in my weekly power rankings because, yeah, I think definitively Baylor's number one right now. Um, they, they've gotten a little bit of a competition from other other teams in the league to start the, the conference play. But I do think they're just deeper and better, more talented than anybody right now. And then you look after that and you see some talent with basically everyone. And then you see the flaws with everyone going again, going through two through seven with Iowa state in there. I I am a little leery of Iowa state, even though to be quite honest, they have one of the better actual resumes. And that's always been my thing. You want to give credit for what they've actually done than what you perceive them to be. And, and, And they've done it. Um, uh, they are a good team. They got three top 25 wins right now. They got four, I believe, quad one wins right now. Uh, I, I'm I'm still a little leery of what's to come just because they were so bad last year. And, and to make such drastic change, is it seems like a lot. And and I'm, I'm not sure I'm a believer yet, but maybe I'm getting there. Um, the one and two start in Big 12 play doesn't help. But then you look elsewhere and you see, you know, Kansas – is losing to a, a Texas Tech team that that's missing several of their players. You're, you're seeing, um, te- or excuse, yeah, Kansas losing to Texas Tech, who's who's short several players. Texas, they don't have a quad one win yet, no. and they are two and one in Big Twelve play, and their two wins are over West Virginia and Kansas State, two teams that were ravaged by COVID issues when they played. Mm-hmm. So, like. I don't know what to think of them. I mean, I think they're good. They're and I see that other people think they're good. They're ranked number fourteen, but 
the first decent they've played two decent teams. They're three decent teams. Oh, three. Yeah, Gonzaga, duh, of course. Um, two decent teams and one amazing team. And they're 0-3 in those three games. So and this Oklahoma State game uh from this past weekend, they never they trailed the entire game. The entire couldn't score. They couldn't they score couldn't either. score. I, you know, obviously the game was tied for the first minute or whatever when it was 0-0 after that they trailed the entire game literally not one second in the lead and they didn't even tie it again after 0-0 so I'm not sure what to think of this Texas team because I personally think they're very good I think they have a lot of talent but again my big thing has been what have you actually accomplished and I'm not sure they've accomplished anything what what's the what is their best win beating West Virginia without their three rotation guys and their two best players yeah, I think so. San Jose hmm. State, Sam Houston State, Rio Grande Valley. Oh, <laughs> maybe Stanford. I don't know how good is Stanford. I they're in the Pac-12. You know, I don't pay attention to the West Coast. Even they stink. I, yeah, um, Iowa State uh, at Texas, no, at Kansas, home against Texas at Texas Tech the next week. They're one and two right now. They, if they're one and five, woo, that's gonna be tough. I, I have concerns about them. We'll see, but um, I think I think that listen, you could you could shake those teams out. It could be it could be anything. And also, home courts in this league are ridiculous right now. Um, the only teams with more than one loss at home are Oklahoma State is five and four, Kansas State is six and two. Everybody else is either undefeated or one loss at home. So, and those one losses are coming in conference play. So, a lot of them got healthy on on home play, but. That, that could be like a fulcrum for a lot of teams because you didn't have home courts last year, really. I mean, you had them, but like very few were packed to, to the guild. So that could be a good thing. West Virginia, I don't know, that helps too. But I mean, right now you're looking at, I think it's Baylor, the top, and then probably Oklahoma State, TCU, Kansas State in some order at the bottom. But that, that middle is going to be hard to distinguish, which is strange because Texas and Kansas, you think, would be in there because the talent, the coaching, the roster, so on and so forth. But they're going to take some losses, I think, just because the nature of these these rosters and the other teams that look like they're they're built to play and compete right away. Um, I'm trying to scroll down to another basketball question, but it's QB question, QB question, QB portal question. We'll we'll write about the quarterback portal, I promise. But like, <laughs> it's just such an involved, spoken conversation. We could be here all day, and I still like we spent a lot of time on this on the podcast. I know. Um. All right, let's let's knock out two more basketball questions right. and and call it here. Uh, Luke Zoolander one. What is Huggins' plan moving forward with Senny Injai? Seems we need bigs next year. Would it make sense to get him in some games this year, or do you think Huggins intends to move on from him? That's pretty specific, but what what do you think the big man plan? I guess big picture here, and we can touch on Senny, of course, uh, is for West Virginia. I think if Polycap and Kerrigan behave like they apparently have lately, where Huggins was upset with them, said that they challenged him, and that he just didn't play him Saturday, if they don't get the message, you'll probably see more of Njai. They have nothing against Njai. It's just that they got two older, more mature guys with more experience that are ahead of him right now, and they're giving those guys a chance. Not a lot of minutes. Um, they thought he was really close to, to being on the floor and to growing on the floor. I want to say the Radford game and had a couple of really nice practices in a row, and then a few more after that where it was like eye-opening, and then you watch him with the eyes open and you give him a chance, and he didn't play well, and then didn't respond well in practice after that. So he's been kind of shuttered since then. But it's hard to see the floor with that much traffic in front of you. And 
Pollock happened Kerrigan and played well. They did not play well. Um, Huggins definitely alluded to the fact that he was not happy with him. I know he pulled Pollock from the scorer's table at one point, so that was an unusual thing, but he was making a point. Um, if, if they don't respond, then you probably got to spin Njai and see if he can go, or you got to spin Okonkwo and see if he can go, because they're going to need size. They're going to need bigs in this conference. So um, you may have an answer sooner or later. The, the plan certainly was to have him ready to go probably by next year, I would think, where he could actually be physically ready to go and play. And if he's not, the experiment probably didn't work out perfectly because he would be in this program for, what, two full years, right? Yeah. And if he's not ready next year, that whole thing about getting a guy in early or getting him in the developmental program, then it doesn't work out. Um, that's not supposed to happen. So maybe this year it's ahead of schedule, but – they thought he was close. I think they still think he's got a chance this year. I think if, if it's him or Oconco, I think he's the guy who contributes more or sooner this season. Yeah, I think, it, again, who, who didn't see this coming when you add two fifth, sixth-year seniors, uh, big men? You, you don't add those guys unless you expect them to play. And if you're adding those two guys, that is bit. And you already have Cottrell and Gabe, who are kind of bigs, more fours than fives. But still, that that's four bigs, and that's usually – the extent of your quote unquote big rotation is three to four guys. So none of this is really that shocking or should be. I'm not saying it was to uh, Mr. Zoolander, but um, I, I think the expectation here is that Sandy's going to take this another year, maybe contribute occasionally. Uh, and, and then the expectation is for him to be one of the guys next year. Uh, one of the guys in that rotation next year. Um. Kind of like what I saw from Control Saturday, by the way. Yeah, I, it's funny. I was going to comment on him in my three immediate thoughts, and I was like, "What are my thought? What like?" I watched it, and he was fine. Like it, it wasn't anything that was like amazing, but he wasn't bad. And, and there were points where other guys were bad. So, so not being bad in that game, given the fact that the way that it started, um, is is actually a compliment, and that it's not a backhanded compliment. I just. Nothing amazed me. Nothing was bad. I thought he was fine. And I was like, I just don't know how to comment on that in this three immediate thoughts. So I guess I just won't. And sure enough, about 10 minutes later, when Bob Huggins gets on his radio call, uh, he is specifically asked about the play of Cottrell. And his words were, yeah, he was fine. <laughs> so I was like, OK, I guess I should have just taken the Bob Huggins approach and just said he was fine. Which, again, given the way some of the other guys on the team played, especially in the first half. Fine with fine is good in, in that game. Mm-hmm. Um, three for 11. I, uh, I don't have in front of me. Was he over one from three? Uh, I don't know. I don't have in front of me either, but played with back to the basket a lot, was effective, scored once or twice, uh, threw in a hook shot in the lane, but also played defense. And uh, no, no three point attempts, there. by the way. None, none. Well, I thought he was over one. Okay, nope. that's great. I mean, that that's they, I think they're worried about him poking around the perimeter too much. Like, you have to score from there if you're going to shoot from there. Hasn't been scoring, so he wasn't shooting. So that's good. Like I think, I think you're seeing him turn a corner. Uh, by the way, three blocks in each of the last three games. Are you serious? Wow. Yeah, at least according to the game log I'm looking at right now. Um, yeah, three against Youngstown State, three against Texas, three against Kansas State is what uh, I'm showing right here. Yeah, it's gonna take a while for him to turn the corner. Like it's a barge in the in the ocean, right? It takes a while to turn it around, but like I think we're seeing it happening. So we'll see how quickly it takes, or how how quickly he can get it all the way around or in the right direction, but I think we're seeing it start. Yeah. And I mean, if he's going to block shots like that, 
one of the reasons that you have Polycap and, and Kerrigan is because they are rim protectors. If Cottrell can turn into more of a rim protector, he's going to see more time. And I think uh, I'm looking at his game log right now, three blocks against Youngstown State, three against Texas, three against Kansas State. And the three games where he played the most this year, Youngstown State, Texas, Kansas State. Yeah. I mean, he, I don't he think that's six, a coincidence. He kept six points off the board. Like, yeah. those were layups for Bradford, and he took them all off the backboard. So that was good. Um, related to the big men, and, and Bob Huggins uh, really railed on this in the postgame. So this isn't just a, a, a fan question, but EV Ear123 did ask it. Which assistant is responsible for low post offense? Our struggles to get the ball within two, three feet of the basket has become a problem for several years now. It's truly maddening. Um, <laughs> can I jump in real quick? Yeah, you can take the lead here. Okay. I, one, I, you, you'll know better than me who's, who's actually coaching that. I, I know there's specific uh, big men slash guard assistants that work with them. But before we even start blaming assistants for, for the coaching part of it, if you come to college or are a fourth and fifth and sixth year senior in college basketball and you do not know how to make low post moves, if you are not a low post player at that point in your life, no amount of coaching is going to change that. It is a footwork thing that you develop over it is a footwork and intuitiveness to scoring in the low post. And if you haven't figured it out by the time you get to college, I don't think you're ever going to be. So I'm not ready to throw this all on. Hey, this guy doesn't know how to coach low post moves. It, you have to have footwork and you have to just have know-how. It's, it's a lot of it's mental and how you can, what you know of the defenders and how they defend you and which shoulder they're going to, how they're leaning against you, all that stuff. That's not on coaching at this point in your life. So I, I'll go ahead and get my defense of whoever it is that coaches big men uh out there before you you chime in mike go ahead no i think you're you've hit the big issue right there too is that similar to what did, what did taz sherman say after the game about the clutch gene some guys have it some guys don't some guys yeah. live for it some guys you know shrink from it too so i think you could apply that to this too where some guys are just going to be good low post scores and sherman's a good example like i don't think you would teach a guard to play in the post when he gets into college like Sherman does, but Sherman could play in the post because he knew how to do that when he came in here. He did it in AAU. He did it in junior college. Um, so that's a good thing for him. I would say one thing too, is that they, they're not very good passing the ball in the post. Oh my God. <laughs> and they work on that a ton. Like they, I know they work on that. Like they talked about it for years. I've seen them do it in drills, just like pop up, catch a pass, whip it into the post. And it just doesn't happen in games and things are harder five on five and they are five on zero. I know that, but that hasn't been a very good thing to the point. Like when you see a simple bounce pass in the post, like you almost want to stop the game and like hang a rafter or hang a banner from the rafter. Right. It's like an achievement. So yeah, you could say, man, Eric Martin needs to do better with the bigs, but like you're, you're kind of working with hardened clay a little bit. You're not gonna be able to mold everybody into do what you want to do, but you could see a guy like Cottrell, who's not really a back to the basket player also improving and gaining confidence and things a little up and under. He hit was really nice. And that's not the thing that he probably had in his bag when he was playing in Huntington or Las Vegas. So that's good. It's possible, but it's it's rare. But a really talented player can do it. Um, and then does the offense do it? I think sometimes motion, it, it can be difficult to get the ball in the post just because you're zipping around so much and you're throwing the ball from the perimeter and you're looking for cutters 
and you're looking for screens and things like that that getting the ball into the post that's not like the the next step in a progression you know you're probably hitting somebody with a bounce pass who's you know cutting the baseline or who's zipping to the middle of the paint or you're coming around a screen and you know some guy back screens fade screens whatever you're really not looking at a lot of post offense sometimes they they just have a they just have a wild hair about let's throw the ball inside and do it but that's not really out of their offense. And maybe it's not something that, that they are so comfortable with or so conditioned to like everything else too. So yeah, you could say like, man, Larry Harrison got to work better with the guards or man, Eric Martin's got to be better with the post guys. Maybe. And maybe they are, maybe they can be better too. But a lot of it's just like, it's never smooth as it should be out there with them. No, it's, it, it's funny you mentioned Cottrell cause he, he was that, that up and under was great. And, but Huggins was really railing on him again about the, uh, the hook shots, because as Huggins noted, you, you know, when you see a hook shot, it's usually if you're going into the middle of the lane, you are gently putting it over the top of the rim. Nice little soft touch, little arc to your hook shot, kind of, you know, almost like that Kareem sky hook. I mean, not as exaggerated as that, but just a little touch, little, little, little bit right over the rim. And Cottrell just kind of straight line drives it off the backboard and it was Huggins had a moment there. It's just like, I don't understand it. I don't know why he does it, but it's going in sometimes. So, okay. And I think that's just kind of the given West Virginia's low post offense at the moment, uh, that might be the approach or, or the attitude you need to take with it is just, if it goes in, we'll just say thank you and move on. <laughs> I love it. The cross your fingers offense. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, I have nothing left up my sleeve. Do you? No, I'll answer the rest of these questions in written form. We might take that three quarterback thing and split it off. Maybe you can do that separately or something. I don't know. It, that that's obviously something that has takes some nuance, which you might be better at than me. And uh, um, I don't know. We got we got some more questions in here, so I'll be sure to to answer them in written form by tomorrow. Yeah, it's not a boring topic. It just requires new new intel and new new angles and all that stuff. If we repeat the same thing, we're going to repeat the same thing. You know what I mean? So yeah. just give us, give us a chance. It's, it's, it's a, uh, it's fluid, Chris. It is. Until next time. I'm Mike Kazaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you later.